find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CosmicPotatoNetwork.com. Okay, so I bought this for Jacob the other day. Okay. And Gracie, my daughter, was playing with it with the baby last night. Hi there. And uh, he started talking. Sing along. And... And she turns to me and she says, you know, you know who he sounds like? I said, what? Rick? That's not the first time. <laughs> I said, I I don't hear it. <laughs> but, I mean, to me, Ernie and Kermit the Frog sound exactly the same, but... <laughs> well, that's, usually I get Kermit. But, uh, no. Yeah. hi <laughs> ho, Kermit the Frog here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somebody's favorite radio program. You ready? I was born ready. Alrighty then. Hold on to your butt. For more than five years, they've been entertaining you with their discussions on classic films, Marvel, Star Wars, and more. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now, in a time of gatekeepers and toxic fandom, they are waving the banner of inclusion, opening the conversation, and letting all perspectives be heard. Welcome to the party, pal! Welcome to Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. Fascinating. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Hey everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. We're the show that knows that Neil deGrasse Tyson may be a very smart man, but even he doesn't know how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. I wouldn't bet on that. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Sean Ray, and with me in the studio is Rick. How's it going, sir? Mm, shy Hulud. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today, it's just the two of us today. We're going to be discussing our favorite... Uh, movies that are based on classic literature. We'll get into that in a couple minutes. But um, first, did you see? You saw the news that uh, Black Widow and some other things have been pushed back again. <laughs> you know, I'm not that upset about it because yeah. I wasn't going to be no- going near the cinema in November anyway. So. No, no, me <laughs> either. But and, and I haven't heard about. Uh, have we heard uh, anything about the James Bond movie? Is it? It's been pushed back to 2021 too, has it? I, I'll be frank with you. I haven't really given a damn about Bond movies for years. <laughs> so, and, you know, the last Bond movie I saw was Skyfall, and it was terrible. So, yeah, I know everybody else thinks it was great. I thought it was appalling. Um, the last. Uh, Skyfall. What, what, would you... Was was Skyfall the last one? No. Oh, okay. No, the last one. No, Skyfall was the second Daniel Craig one that yeah, everybody that raved cool. about. But uh, the the way that the you know the the bad guy's girlfriend usually doesn't survive the movie, but the absolute horrific way they killed her, mm-hmm. and Bond didn't bat an eyelash, and nobody said anything about it, and I was like, this is just. Nope, I'm done with the whole fucking franchise. Pardon my French, but it was just terrible. I'm Remember, a... he puts a drink. The bad guy puts a drink on her head, and they start shooting at the drink. And then 
the bad guy shoots her through the shoots her in the head, and then everybody's yeah. just like, "Oh well, guess we're done." <laughs> I just no, no, no. That yeah. was yeah, that was that was a little rough. Um, I'm I mean I've I've always liked James Bond movies, but I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of the Daniel Craig ones just because he's uh, and it has nothing to do with Daniel Craig. It's just they seem to take it a lot more seriously than cause the, the old James Bond had a lot of, uh, I don't know. There was a lot of comedy in there mm-hmm. and it was really tongue in cheek. Most of the, most of the movies, but, but we, but you know, you go back and watch some of those old ones. A lot of those are problematic too. There's a lot of racism and tons of misogyny, tons of sexism. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's not one that I'm like, oh, I gotta I gotta see it, but uh, I don't usually go to the theater to watch James Bond movies just because my wife's not really into them. But now Black Widow, I would I I will yeah eventually. <laughs> yeah, if, I've been if they had released for... it, I I wouldn't go see it now. But uh, I'm glad they pushed it back. Yeah, I've been excited about the the Black Widow movie ever since they announced the possibility that they might maybe do one what 15 years ago yeah yeah <laughs> it can't be that long but you know yeah but it's you know it's been a while and there was are they going to do it are they not going to do it are they going to do it is scarlett Johansson too old you know blah 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 blah. so you know the fact that it's made thrills me mm-hmm. and you know i'm also you know they push back wonder woman too yeah, yeah you know i think they pushed that back to december we're still not going to a you know until there's a vaccine we're not going to the movie theater so yeah um you know if they do with you know, with Wonder Woman, you know, on demand, we will almost assuredly pay to see that. Uh, but uh, we saw yeah, I, we uh, we saw Mulan, and I know it's it's expensive to to you know when they ask uh, thirty dollars for it, but it's we kind of weighed if we went to see this in the theater, how much would we spend? And mm-hmm. how much would we spend? And we'd kind of determined, yeah, we'd spend less watching it this way than if we went to the theater anyway. Um, so we went ahead and watched it and it's great. It's a great movie. Uh, the price Wait point, here. the price point, I think is not something that is going to be able to be a commonplace thing. Like, just suppose the pandemic were to last for the next five years. You know, I know, hopefully, hopefully it won't last that long. But, um, and movie theaters are still at like half capacity, which is going to make a lot of movie companies not want to release their movies because they can only sell half the tickets. Uh, I don't think $30 is the price point that they're going to be able to release their movies at. And, Anything lower than that, they might not be able to make enough money off of it, you know. And they kind of fudged the numbers when they put out, uh, Disney reported that Mulan had made like $200 million or something like that. And then they came back and said, no, it was closer to $65 million. <laughs> It's like, that's a big difference, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really good movie. It's, as far as all of the remake, you know, remaking these movies as live action, if you can call the Lion King a live action remake, um, this is definitely a different the best. kind of animation. Yeah, uh, the, to make it just the story seems more realistic as something that could actually happen, you know, and, and without little talking dragons and <laughs> and things like that. But uh, but still, even I mean, it's a, it's a Hollywood thing. Uh, 
you're not fooling anybody dressed up as a man. <laughs> like you still look like a girl. Uh, it was funny. There was even, uh, there was even a point at the, at the point where everybody finds out that she's not a man. She's actually a woman. And then all of a sudden her makeup comes back, <laughs> you know, and her lips and her eyes are all feminine again, where they had tried, tried to kind of mute that a little bit, you know, when, when she was a, uh, supposed to be a man. So I pointed that out to my wife. She's like, yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> but, I mean, I, you know, Mulan is not a, I mean, I'm not a big Disney movie fan anyway, but my wife and, you know, and daughter are. So when it hits, when it hits uh, when it hits Disney Plus, I don't want to say for free because we're paying for Disney Plus, but yeah, you know when it hits Disney Plus without having to pay anything extra, we're you know we'll we'll definitely watch it. December, um, I think it's coming out in December. Yeah, you know as far as the 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 original animated version goes, it's one of my favorite is really too strong a word, but it's one I I didn't mind watching. I, I I'm just not a huge fan of of. Disney cartoons, the singing kind of bores me, and <laughs> yeah. at least it didn't have any talking animals besides Mushu, who, you know, all right, Eddie Murphy's entertaining no matter what he's doing. So yeah, um, there's a couple of them that I've really liked. I mean, Aladdin and uh, Hercules, but most of them, to, I mean, most of them, to tell you the truth, are not really geared towards boys because no. they're. They're about a princess, and you know, not, there's not a whole lot of little boys that want to grow up to be a princess. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not their demo, and yeah. I, I dig that. And I I've it's never really been a problem. I I don't. It's not like I think they shouldn't exist or yeah, anything yeah, yeah. like that. It, it's just not my not my bag. Never has been, even as a kid. Um, I remember like going to the drive-in as a you know you know getting in the back of the station wagon, my brother and me in our PJs with a big paper grocery bag full of homemade popcorn going to the drive-in to see 101 Dalmatians and falling asleep. Yeah. Because I, I just, it just bored me. Yeah. Uh, Aristocats was the same thing. It's just, that's just never really been my, but, you know, the love bug or the computer wore tennis shoes or yeah. uh, Strongest Man and all of those early Disney live action stuff, most of them starring Kurt Russell. <laughs> um <laughs> Or Dean Jones and Sandy Duncan and and uh, um, we've got uh, the 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 cat from outer space. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and I it, Sharon pulled it out. We've had uh, Carlos uh, sent us or sent me back, back in the old simply syndicated days when we had the the Secret Santa. He sent uh, he was my Secret Santa one year and he sent me a couple of movies and he sent. Uh, the cat from outer space and Sharon has watched that movie more times than she actually remembers having watched that movie. Yeah. And uh, the other day, a couple weeks ago, she pulled it out to watch on a Saturday morning. And I'm like, you used to watch the hell out of this. Cause I really, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> and she put it in, <clears throat> excuse me. And yeah, she used to call it cat space because she th- didn't, wouldn't say that right. she wanted to watch cat space. And, and I'm watching, you know, I'm in the room and I'm, I'm doing stuff and I'm cleaning and putting away breakfast dishes and stuff. And I forgot that both McLean Stevenson and Harry Morgan were in the movie. McLean Stevenson played Colonel Blake. Yeah. Harry Morgan played Colonel Potter. Right. And there were several scenes where they were both on screen together. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crossover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, when I was in elementary school, there was, uh, 
the library had all those Disney movies in the big clamshell cases and everything. Mm-hmm. And if it was a rainy day or if it was a day towards the end of school or something, you know, the teacher would go to the library, get a couple of those movies, bring them back. Sometimes they would put movies in that hadn't been screened. That's how we ended up watching the, the Goonies in the third grade. <laughs> Which, I mean, the Goonies is not inappropriate, but there, there is some cursing and, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, uh, the parents probably should have been asked about before they just showed it to the kids. You know? I've but, actually never seen the Goonies. Oh, really? Well, well, I was, I was too old when it came out, so it didn't interest me. And my, uh, I, I, I don't know, Sharon, I, Sharon's never shown any interest in it. I don't even know if she, if she knows it exists. Um, and it was just, it was just never a movie that my, my friends and I ever saw. So it just kind of slipped on, you know, one of the problems of being a 56 year old parent of a nine year old is there's this huge gap. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm 43 and when, when my kids were young, when I was in my twenties and early thirties and they were like young, uh, I would go go and find some of the movies that I used to love when I was a kid, try to show it to them. They just, I'm, they're not interested in it. <laughs> you know, they've got stuff with better special effects just coming on regular TV now. You know, so one thing I've discovered with Sharon is if I try to get her to be interested in something, she won't. It's not like, "Gee, Dad, you like it, therefore I won't." It just she'll maybe watch a little bit of it and then drift off. She's got to yeah. find it herself. Yeah. Um, you know, like She-Ra, the, the new She-Ra. Um, I think you guys, you might have, t- you and John might have told me, oh, you got to get her to On watch Netflix, this. On Netflix, yeah. And I tried, you know, tried and tried and she wasn't interested. But then last month on her own, she just watched the whole damn thing in like a week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. We're going to talk about movies based on classic works of literature. So, I'm glad I've got a long list. Just two of us are going to get further into it than I thought. What what can be considered classic literature? Because I had originally invited Chris to come in the show, and then he had a uh, scheduling conflict, so he couldn't make it. But he sent me a message saying, uh, "So, what are we considering classic literature? Is it this, this, this?" And I was like. Dude, it's, I mean, it's whatever your definition of it. I mean, it could be something from the 1800s. It can be something from the 70s. You know, whatever you consider to be a classic work of literature. And there's a movie that you like that's based on that or inspired by that or something like that. Then bring it up. You know, we'll talk about it. So I, I kind of my, my, What's the word I'm looking for? I want to say prime directive, but that's a different show. <laughs> um, I was looking for movies mostly. Some of these don't necessarily follow that line of reasoning. Um, actually, most of these don't, come to think of it. Um, if, a, if a book has been around for a long time and... Oh no! Okay, I rem- I remember now why I, I was just looking at my list, going, "I'm about to say exactly the opposite of what's on my list." <laughs> I was originally trying to find movies that were based on classics that weren't necessarily like a direct a movie adaptation of the book. Yeah, yeah, uh, and 
most of what I was finding was stuff I never watched. <laughs> so I couldn't <laughs> talk about it. I've got a few or they of those. Were, yeah. yeah. Or they were comms or something. And it was like, oh, that's based on, oh, I don't. Well, the thing know, is that it. most of the, most of the classic books that we would think of, uh, you know, like your, your Charles Dickens, Mark Twain, Jane Austen, those, those kinds of authors, all of their books were made into movies like in the thirties and forties and fifties, you know, because a lot of the movies that came out back then were adaptations of books and then they've Mm -hmm. been remade over and over and over to the point that you don't see a lot of it now. A lot of the movies that are based on books now are based on books that have come out in the last 10 or 20 years. Um, you do see a lot of, well, we're going to take the idea from this book and we're going to change it up a little bit. And we're going to take this Sherlock Holmes story and we're going to set it in the future, (laughs) you know, or Mm -hmm. something like that. You know, they do some crazy things like that. But as far as direct adaptations, uh, from classic books, you see them every once in a while. I think there was a version of Emma that just came out a couple of months ago. Uh, the great Gatsby came out three, uh, three or four, two, three years ago, something like that, you know? Um, but not so much anymore. Yeah. And, and well, when, once we get into my list, you'll, I think you'll, you'll get a a feel for what I'm, I'm where I'm coming from. Well, give me, give me one off your list. All right. Well, well, if you can guess from the name I'm using this week, uh, although you may not, no, I can't, you may not recognize it. Um, the, the first, the very first, as soon as you mentioned this, this topic, the first movie that came to mind is Dune. Yeah, okay. Now, I would absolutely say that Dune is a classic. Um, you know, it was written in 1960, uh, it was published in 1964, 65. Okay. Uh, but it was written, it was written well before then. Yeah. Uh, Frank Herbert wrote it. It, it was, there were there were a couple of different versions, and then he put it out as a serialized uh, story in. Oh, I don't think it was Amazing Stories. I think it was a stand. And anyway, in 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 one of the the early science, uh, one of our one of my Starbase listeners sent me a bunch of them. Uh, they're in a box somewhere. I, you know, I've, I've moved twice since I got them, um, but a bunch of the original. Amazing, amazing, I think it was amazing stories, but that all had, had chapters of Dune in it. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just, I've read the book. I'm in the middle of, of, of listening to it again. Um, I, yeah, cause I've the new, read the and, new film's coming out pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. I have fi- read the physical book and or listened to the book tape, audiobook, whatever you want to call it, uh, at least 10 times. I love this book. Uh, the, the whole series, some are better than others, but I, you know, I really love the series. But the fact that, you know, it is one of the greatest classics of science fiction. And a lot of people will poo-poo science fiction as not being literature, and I will fight them to the death on that. Yeah. Um, but Dune influenced so many things. From the ridiculous to the sublime. I mean, you know, one of my, I, I think we've talked about, we did, didn't we do a show not too long ago about guilty pleasures or, or something? Anyway, We've done you know, it before, yeah. yeah, yeah, Ice Pirates, which is, <laughs> you know, totally riffing on Dune, um, and is one of my favorite movies. Uh, you know, the day, the funny thing about Dune is, 
Um, when I was in high school, so we're talking 1980, uh, 1979 to 82, uh, we had a friend named Dan Axtell. And probably everybody has that one friend who has a godlike intellect and you're just so utterly in awe of, you know, he could, he could, he would draw these incredibly elaborate spaceships and he understood physics and math and all this stuff. And Dune was his favorite book. And he would go on and on about how it's got all these appendices in the back and blah, 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 blah. And so I was absolutely convinced that there was no way a mere mortal like I could ever comprehend this, this, great tome <laughs> yeah <laughs> um you know and it was the same thing about I, I had the same fear of the the foundation trilogy and the lord of the rings mm-hmm. trilogy right um then in 1982 david lynch's dune came out and you know it got huge hype and i was really looking forward to it and went to the movies and watched that and came out of there going what the f- was that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so then I was like, all right, I've got to read this book just to see what the hell I think people, I think people say that after watching any David Lynch movie. (laughs) And then I read the book and it blew me away. And it isn't, I mean, it's a dense book. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to downplay it. This is not a book that you're going to put a, put the audio book on and go, you know, watch dancing with the stars while it's playing. This is, you got to pay attention to this. This is dense subject matter, but it's incredible. Um, it is, you know, there's a lot of times when you'll grab a, a classic and you'll read it and you're like, what the, why? It just goes on and on and on. And, you know, you know, we may talk about Lord of the Rings later. I don't know. But, you know, that book could be condensed down. Those, those three, four books could easily be edited down to maybe yeah. two. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. lose the story at all. <laughs> Every word in Dune is perfect belongs there lynch's movie um it's not good it's not good at all i never got through it i never got through it. I ne- i've never read dune and i tried to watch the movie a couple of times and about 30 minutes in i was like i, I don't know this just isn't it, for me <laughs> I, I i'll give lynch credit for two things one the visuals um with a few notable exceptions, the visuals really work. And whenever I'm reading the book now, uh, I'm seeing Lynch's yeah. visuals. Um, and the casting. The casting was perfect. Everybody that he cast in, as the, you know, all of the, 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 the people he cast as the characters in the book, again, they are the people I see and hear when I'm reading the book now. Um, now, uh, oh, what I was starting to say before Sharon came in, this time through the book, I'm noticing microaggressions that were commonplace back in the 60s that never occurred to me before. The evil Baron is gay yeah. and nobody else is. Um, that's pretty much really the only thing is, you know, one of the things that makes him evil is he's also a gay. <laughs> right. And... <laughs> Um, that, you know, that never occurred to me before, but, uh, I don't think that really detracts from the book. And, you know, well, I'm really looking forward to what Villanueva is going to be doing with Dune. I think, you know, all the trailers I've seen and all the interviews with him I've seen, 
it looks like he, you know, I kind of gave up when, when uh, sci-fi put out their mini series of Dune and then children of Dune. Um, I know some people think it was great and I, you know, bless you. I really am glad you were able to enjoy it. <laughs> I thought they were all, they were, uh, again, most, it was okay, but you know, for the most part, they were really terrible. I don't know what the fuck this was with the guildmen, you know, and the, and just, <laughs> um, but anyway, um, you know, some of the, some of the casting again was really awesome. Um, but just overall, I, I had pretty much given up. I had just resigned myself to the fact that Dune was not something that could be made into, a, you know, could be taken from book to, to, to screen. Villanueva, if he can't do it, nobody can. I think it's, it's, I'm really optimistic about this new version of Dune. Uh, he's doing only the first book and he's doing it in two separate films, which I think is the right way to go. We'll, we'll see how it, how it works out, but, uh. They do a lot when, when they, they try to take like classic science fiction and make a modern movie out of it. And I mean, sometimes it works. Most of the time it doesn't, you know, they, they tried to do like a, a version of the time machine about 20 years ago that I think it had Jeff, I think it had Jeffrey Irons in it, Jeremy Irons in it. Boring. And yeah. And, but they tried to make it into like an action movie. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, they take a lot of Philip K. Dick stories and, um, which his stories might be 20 pages and they make, two hour movies out of them that really don't resemble <laughs> like a minority report with Tom Cruise. I've never seen that. Uh, oh yeah. I, I enjoy the movie, but it doesn't really resemble the story that it was based on. And then, um, you know, total recall was based on a Philip K. Dick story too. And I remember uh, it for you wholesale. Yeah. And it's, that's one of the ones you get to say based on, because it's a completely re- reimagining of his story. Um, well, I did read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, and it really doesn't resemble Blade Runner at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of the ones. That, but that that's a full book. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Total Recall one, I think, is 20 page, 15 pages, something like that. And I read it online a while back, and I was like, yeah, I can see where the movie came from. But this doesn't really resemble that story. It's a, it's a completely different story. But uh, the first one on my list is... And let me scroll down a little bit. Uh, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? With uh, had George Clooney and... Um, I mean, it had a lot of people in it. But I guess George Clooney's the, the, the biggest draw. But it's a Coen Brothers film. And when I was a kid... The Coen Brothers, like Raising Arizona, was one of my dad's favorite movies. So it got played in my house at least once every six months or so. Um, and, you know, The Big Lebowski and stuff like that. But then they took uh, The Odyssey and they made Oh Brother, Where Art Thou from it. And the look and the... Have you ever seen it? I know I'm a bad person for not having seen the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's one of those movies that I watched it one time and there's so many different aspects of it that I fell in love with. Like the, the fact that it was based on the Odyssey, the Odyssey was, um, now I can't say I ever read the original poem of the Odyssey, but I read, you can't read Greek. Yeah. Well, even the <laughs> translation, I, we had a version of it 
in our one of our textbooks at school, like our reading book or whatever, when I was in high school, that uh, I read that story and I liked the story, even if it wasn't the original, the actual original text or whatever. And um, there was a cartoon version of it that used to come on uh, when I was a kid that I, w- I watched it two or three times. And I liked that story. And seeing them kind of play with that without actually being the story. It's like th- we're, we're hitting the same beats as the Odyssey, but we're making it into a comedy that takes place during the Great Depression, you know, and, um, they got John the, Goodman in it. Yeah. John Goodman plays the, the quote unquote Cyclops. He's a one eyed Bible salesman. <laughs> uh, see, he's, he's, you know how a lot of people have, you know, if so-and-so is in a movie, I'll see it. I don't care what it is. Um, I don't really have anyone like that, but there, there are several people who are in movies that will keep me away from the movie. And I don't know why. I don't know why you got, I don't know why you have an aversion of John Goodman. I think John Goodman is a fantastic actor. I have no idea what, you know, (laughs) maybe it's because, you know, when he first came onto the scene, he was, he was intimately connected to Roseanne Barr and I can't stand her. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's what the connection is in my head, but uh, well, you know, I have nothing against him, but I just it was like, oh, John Goodman's in it. I'm not interested, to, and I have no, I have no rational reason for that. To be fair, John Goodman can't stand her either. <laughs> I'm sure he can. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I mean he's he's made some movies over the year, and when when he started, it was mostly like comedy, and and then he started getting into some. Still comedy, but darker comedy. When he hooked up with the Coen brothers, you know, he, he was in the Big Lebowski, you know, it's a pretty good role that he was in there. And then in the last, uh, 10 years or so, he's been in a couple that I thought he was fantastic. And he made Red State with, uh, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith directed a movie called Red State and he was in that. Heard of it. Yeah. And then he was in 10 Cloverfield Lane, which even if you separate it from Cloverfield, that is a fantastic movie. Yeah, that was one I just... I mean, I loved Cloverfield. Yeah. Uh, the third one was an appalling mess. Yeah. I don't even remember what it was called. It was... Um, it was Cloverfield Lane? It was but, called the the Cloverfield Paradox, but... Oh, yeah. It was... Oh, man, that movie was those are so both bad. Movie, those are both movies that were supposed to be something else, and then J.J. Uh, J. Abrams got a hold of them and just said, you know, because they had been sitting on a shelf and not get and not been made for so long. And he's like, well, I'll make them, but I'm going to tie them in the Cloverfield. Yeah. But, you know, you just have to, with 10 Cloverfield Lane, the last five minutes is all that's really tied to Cloverfield. The rest of the movie is its own thing, you mm. know? Uh, but the only thing, and this is getting off the the subject. But the the only thing that I hate about the fact that it's we tied to that. that it's tied to Cloverfield <laughs> is because it takes place in the Cloverfield universe. The whole movie is about uh, these three people that are locked in a bunker. John Goodman's playing this guy that built the bunker. He's got two other people that he put down there with him, and he's telling them that there's been a nuclear attack and the world has come has come to an end, and they have to stay down there. If they go out, they'll die. But because you know that they're in the Cloverfield universe, you know that if they go out, they probably will die. If you, if it wasn't tied into that, you wouldn't be able to tell if John Goodman was lying or telling the truth until the end of the movie. Which I think, I think that having Cloverfield just in the title kind of takes away from the, 
from that, you know, so. But anyway, um, oh brother, where are they? I'll kind of puts this, uh, the sepia tone over the, you know, this palette over the, the color and, uh, kind of makes it look more old timey and, uh, the soundtrack, they've got so many like old folk songs and old gospel songs and stuff, uh, on the, on the soundtrack that is great. I think it's a pretty decent adaptation of the Odyssey. I mean, they've got the, they've got Ulysses because it's, I mean, not Ulysses, Odysseus, um, because, uh, George Clooney plays a guy named Ulysses and, uh, He's, he escaped from prison and he's, uh, he's trying to get back to his wife and along the way he runs into the sirens, he runs into the cyclops, you know, all that stuff. So, um, if, if you haven't seen it, you know, that's, that's one you need to put on your list. I think you, yeah, I, I, it's one of those, you know, it's so far outside of things that I usually watch that I never think of it. Um, but it's one I, I, Whenever we, you know, we have a conversation, oh yeah, I really need to watch that movie. Yeah. And then it goes right out of my head again. Yeah. Yeah. And cause I, I think, uh, I've mentioned the movie, um, is it stay tuned or not stay tuned, but the movie that's on Hulu about the girl that, that enters the Star Trek oh, writing the, contest. The, the, yeah. And uh, Susie told me to watch that too. When I, I and it pops up on my Hulu. Every time I watch something on Hulu, it pops up and, uh, and I'm like, I've told, I've told Rick for like three years to watch that movie and I don't think he's done it. <laughs> no, no. And by the way, I, I, I haven't started watching whatever that was Scott wants me to watch. I was just, I was, <laughs> you want it, you want the honest truth? I was sitting on the toilet at the time. So I was like, if I say, okay, well, I don't have to be any part of this conversation anymore. <laughs> uh, Sorry, folks. <laughs> what's, what's the next one on your list? Uh, well, you want to do, John sent his list. So you want to oh, yeah. Well, oh, brother, where out there was also on his list. Oh, another one but, that's on my list that he also mentioned was Roxanne. Yeah, I almost put that one on my list too. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, based on, well, I, I can't even say it's based on Cyrano de Bergiac. It basically is Cyrano yeah. de Bergiac. Even, even the fact that he's got a really long nose in, in it. Um, Steve Martin movies. It, and that's another thing with my dad. You know, Steve Martin movies were a staple in my house. You know, anytime he came out with a movie, we we didn't usually go see it, but we rented it when it came out on video. So, well, wasn't that one of the first ones, if not the first one he did, where he wasn't being Steve Martin all wild and crazy? That yeah, was it was after it was after the jerk. Role. Yeah, it was after yeah. the jerk, and uh, and also the fact that he played a fire chief. My dad was a firefighter, so. He was a fire chief, so that was a, that was a plus too. But, um, yeah, he, um, you know, they, the, the, the whole, the famous scene, the, the whole plot of Cyrano de Bergiac is that Cyrano's in love with this guy, with this woman. And there's another, there's another guy that's in love with her, but he's trying, he's helping the younger guy, like, woo her. And, um. Well, you're, you're, you're missing the, the, the main MacGuffin of the, the, story and the movie is that Cyrano is a cultured gentleman and you know would would be you know perfect for her except he's got this extraordinarily big nose yeah and he considers himself too ugly for her and along comes this young handsome studly guy who is also in love with Roxanne and so 
Cyrano agrees to help him woo her. And through that, he's, it's kind of messed up. <laughs> but it's psychologically, <laughs> you know, he's going to help the woman he loves fall in love with the man he thinks she should be with when really, if he was just honest to her, she'd be in love with him. And, yeah. you know, ultimately, not to spoil a 300-year-old story, but, you know, ultimately she realizes all the pretty words were coming from Cyrano, not from the young dude, because when they finally get alone and Cyrano's not there, the dude's an idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which, but, I mean, the plot's been done over and over and over, but this... What I find hilarious about Roxanne is that the the prosthetic nose that they put on him... Um, now, in Cyrano de Bergerac is a, was a play. And so when they put a, no, a fake nose on the actor, it had to be ridiculously large so that the people in the back of the theater would be able to tell that it's a thing, that that has a big deal to do with the plot. Well, and, even the people at the front of the theater. Back then, the yeah. closest people to the to the actors were still about 30 feet away. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and in Roxanne, they just... They put this nose on Steve Martin that I think it's impossible for anybody's nose to actually look like that. Because it's, it's almost like it's normal, but it just sticks straight out about three inches. <laughs> I, I just, I love the scene where he's trying to drink from the, from the champagne flute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was impressive to me. I, I haven't seen the movie since it came out, but it was just the, the, the way the prosthetic moved when he tried to like drink from the from the the glass and it like it looked very real they yeah. did a great job with yeah. the prosthetic on the nose yeah and then they had the they had the scene where uh somebody was staring at him in the restaurant so he just got up and said hey uh i forgot exactly how it goes but anyway to keep people from making fun of him he just gets up and tells 50 jokes about his nose <laughs> mm-hmm. let me tell you the top 50 jokes about my nose or whatever and well, and the, and the thing is, in the play, uh, Cyrano is an expert swordsman because he's been having to defend himself from people his whole life making fun of his nose. Yeah. And in the movie Roxanne, he ends up getting into a, a basically a sword fight with a tennis racket, which is again genius. The the movie <laughs> is brilliant. Uh, I you know I really need to watch that again. It's been it's been I haven't seen it since it came out, but I really need to see it again. And you know one of the one of my favorite things in the movie. The the love interest is is um mermaid. Um Oh Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah. Yeah. And she's a she's an astronomer. There's this wonderful scene where they're with a on the roof with a telescope. Um but there's this other guy and I is it it's not Fred Willard, is it? Fred Willard Fred, is in it, Fred, yeah. It he's is Fred Willard, yeah. He he's he's also well, he thinks he's like the big stud in town. And he runs a, a taxidermy shop called All Things Dead. <laughs> which is all. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just, you know, he's got all of these. And, and the funny, well, the funniest thing about that, and, and this is, I'm, I'm really wandering far afield though. Uh, in the town where I grew up in South Florida, God, I haven't even thought about this place in forever. There was a restaurant that my folks used to go to that it was like a, a, you know, you know, country and, you know, home cooking kind of country food, you know, place. And they had, it was like this really long rectangular building. And at one end, I guess maybe it used to be a nightclub or something. There was like Mm -hmm. a stage area and it was all things dead. It was like, there was like a puma and a, and a, a elk and a 
bear and all these taxidermied animals there. Yeah. I couldn't. I thought of of Roxanne every time we went there to eat. <laughs> so yeah, and, what, and it's not even there anymore. So what's another one off your list? Okay, let's have fun with this next one. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. <laughs> yeah, I almost put that on my list. <laughs> I tried to read the book, and then I realized that they're just trying to trick me into reading Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> I, you know, I've never read uh, Pride and Prejudice. I've, I've actually never read any of uh, Jane Eyre's books. Um, but I've, I've, I was really reluctant on Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, because I figured it was just going to be this you know, schlocky hack job, pardon the pun, but, uh, it was actually a lot of fun. Mm. And it, it, have you seen the movie? Yeah. Yeah. It was taken a lot more seriously than I expected it to be. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of the actual book is in the movie. Oh yeah. It's basically the same story. They just, I mean, and the same, and a lot of the, you know, the light, I love, the purple prose of the of 18th century books. And I've got a, a couple of novels, a couple of other things we'll get into uh, from that era. I love that style of writing. Um, you know, the, the, the very uh, almost ritualized way people conversed in the books. I don't know if that's how things really were or not, but uh, you know, there were very strict conventions of, of, conversation and in pride and prejudice and zombies that's all there mm-hmm. in around all of these women being badass zombie killers yeah. <laughs> it's just brilliant yeah they just all of a sudden turn into like buffy the vampire slayer type uh, yeah. <laughs> and they have these big choreographed fight scenes and stuff and then mm-hmm. it just goes right back into being a a, a, a 19th century uh, drama. <laughs> yeah, a, a drawing room. Uh, what do they? Yeah, anyway, yeah. But uh, I, I, I had a lot of fun watching it. I'm. My only regret was that I waited so long to watch it. They did a. Um, there was like a whole bunch of those kind of stories that came out for a while, about ten years ago or so. Uh, I had a Abraham list of Lincoln Vampire Hunter or something like Abraham that. Lincoln Vampire Hunter. They made a movie of that one. Uh, but yeah, there was a time you could go to the bookstore and they would have like a table set up with all these books where people were mixing classic literature with monsters and stuff. And, uh, some of them were pretty interesting to look at, but I, I, I never, I never, that's the only one that I tried to read. And, uh, I got about 50 pages into it and I realized, <laughs> I'm just reading Pride and Prejudice and and every every 10 pages or so there's a there's a zombie scene. <laughs> you know? So uh the next one on my list is uh just one of the guys from I think it was 1985 this movie came out cuz when I was a young guy I'd say probably about cuz I don't remember I was I didn't watch this in 1985. It was like more like 87 88 when I was around I was about 11 12 years old something like that. Uh Showtime used to be a channel that showed movies all day. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, now they show and the TV had music videos. <laughs> yeah. Now they show their original programming most of the time. But, um, this is one of the movies that in the summer it would come on like every single day. So there was a few times that I would watch it, but it was mainly because it had boobs in it. <laughs> but, uh, um, anything about that. Yeah. But it's based on the 12th night by Shakespeare. 
<laughs> and uh, I can't. I think it kind of started a whole slew of movies that came out over the next uh, few years that where they take Shakespeare stories and they kind of loosely base their plot on it and stuff. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you this as a as a as a a theater person. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about Shakespeare is you don't have to pay royalties. On yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Shakespeare in the Bible. That's what every. That's what. That's what. Just about everything is based on. Um, so you get this premise of you got a girl dressing up like a guy, and then she falls in love with a guy who's in love with another girl, but that girl is in love with the girl that's dressed as a guy. You know, so you got this whole mm-hmm. circular thing happening. Classic Shakespeare comedy. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a. Uh, but it's a. I mean, it's a pretty decent movie. I haven't seen it in a couple of decades, probably, but. The, uh, but when I was a kid, you know, that, that poster of just this girl standing there with two football helmets and she's covering her boobs. I'm like, Ooh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's, but it was, it was, it was a pretty, uh, a pretty good movie. Um, yeah, I never, I never saw it. I, uh, I spent a lot of my early scholastic and theatrical career trying to convince myself in the world that Shakespeare was not all he was cracked up to be. <laughs> um, mostly just because I was being stubborn and, and uh, didn't want to take the time to learn anything about it. So I was like, nah, Shakespeare sucks. Yeah, just <laughs> um, I, I have since amended my views on Shakespeare. I still think he was a hack writer, but he was a brilliant poet. He, he yeah. his, you know, his plot lines were not as great as people like to pretend they were, but his, um, his, Facility with language was unrivaled. Yeah, um, yeah, but, um, uh, yeah. I, I never, I, I never saw one of the guys because the, the whole, like, the Comedy of Errors was one of the first Shakespeare shows I ever had to read. Yeah, and oh, uh, it's the worst sitcom ever because you know everyone's been ripping Shakespeare, you know, that plot off of two sets of identical twins, lots of mistaken identity, all that junk, and. Uh, uh, you know, it's been done to death, but it's been done to death. He did it first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, I, I get kind of caught up in the, you can't fault someone who started the thing if everybody after him is ripping him off. Yeah. But I still, there are aspects of Shakespeare and, and, you know, he was big on the, well, I'm a girl and I need to get something done. So I'm going to dress as a man and people are going to believe I'm a man, you know, of course, now you know that in Shakespeare's day, all of the actors were men, so all of the women were played by men, so a man playing a woman dressed as a man works a little better yeah, <laughs> than yeah. a gorgeous Hollywood starlet putting on a t-shirt and jeans and going, yeah, I'm, I'm a guy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, put a little mustache on right here. <laughs> we'll probably do, I guess we'll do one more each and then we'll do our honorable mentions. Okay. Um, now let's see. I, I have 15, so, <laughs> okay. um, I had to stop myself. I'm like, this list could go on forever. And I didn't know how many people we were going to have on the show. Just really quickly, since just to, just to, uh, rattle off the Shakespeare that I have on here without going in them to, into, in them, into them in, in any necessary detail. Uh, Henry V, Kenneth Branagh's Henry V is one of the most brilliant Shakespeare adaptations ever. Uh, everyone needs to watch it. Um, it's long, but it's worth it. Uh, 
Macbeth, there are a bunch of different versions of Macbeth, so, and I'm not afraid to say it, so I'm not even in the theater, so fuck off if that's a problem. <laughs> uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, there was a version with Kevin Klein and Stanley Tucci. Holy crap, it's a Joe Crow! Yeah. <laughs> hey, Joe. <laughs> Hello! Um, it was Kevin Klein and Stanley Tucci is Puck, which when I heard about when they, when they advertised it, I was like, Stanley Tucci is Puck. He was freaking brilliant as Puck. Um, Midsummer's my favorite of the, of Shakespeare's comedies and it's a brilliant, brilliant adaptation. Um, uh, okay. This is going to be a little bit controversial because I've used, I've been using this movie in my classes for years long before we knew what a douchebag Mel Gibson is, but his Hamlet <laughs> is freaking awesome. Glenn Close as, as Gertrude is amazing, but the most, the most incredible performance in the movie and the most amazing Ophelia I've ever seen was Helena Bottom Carter. It was like one of her first movies. It was after Jane of a Thousand Days or whatever, you know, an incredibly depressing movie where it, with her and Carrie Elways. Um, <laughs> But she, as as you might imagine, she plays crazy really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, then uh, okay, I'll save this that, that for for uh, honorable mentions. But uh, uh, I've got to say, uh, uh, um, God, these are all so good. Uh, <laughs> uh, War of the Worlds. Okay. War of the Worlds. Um, the 1953 War of the Worlds. Yeah, I was about to say you meant the Tom Cruise one. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Lola Strickland agrees with me about Helen, Helena Bonham Carter as Ophelia. Hi, Lola. Um, no, the Tom Cruise. Yeah, all right, the Tom Cruise one wasn't bad. No, it wasn't. It bad. just it just wasn't good. Uh, it was just it was okay. Um, they they got some things really really right. Um, no, it was uh, the no the the Hamlet or the Hamlet I'm talking about. Lola was uh, unfortunately. Uh, Mel Gibson, not Branna. Branna was mm-hmm. Branna's Hamlet. All right, short uh, a couple of years after Gibson's Branna, Gibson's Hamlet came out, and it's only like an hour and a half long, two hours, something like that. Um, and just, just uh, all right, a little bit of background. Sorry, folks, I'm a theater person. A little bit of background. Shakespeare's shows, if you do the whole thing, are between four and five hours long. They were meant to be an entire day's diversion. Uh, nobody ever does those as a movie because audiences would just go insane if you had a four hour long movie. Mm-hmm. But Kenneth Branagh, at the peak of his hubris, decided to do the entirety of Hamlet. And I sat through that whole goddamn thing. <laughs> uh, there was an intermittent and it was four and a half hours long and it was painful. Um, and we could do an entire show on why, if you want to, if you want to have a conversation with me about why I didn't like Branagh's Hamlet, I would be happy to go into it, but now is not the time. But, uh, but I just, I think Mel Gibson was way too old to play Hamlet in his movie, but he was still fantastic. Um, anyway, uh, what was it? Oh, War of the Worlds, 1953, War of the Worlds, one of the first science fiction movies I remember seeing as a kid. Um, it, it still holds up. I watched it. I watched it last year. Uh, just for the hell of it one afternoon. Um, it is brilliant, uh, because it's based on an incredibly brilliant book. Have any of you, either of y'all ever read the original War of the Worlds? Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful book and it holds oh, yeah. up today. Um, you know, 
uh, H.G. Wells is revered, rightfully so. I've read several of his books, and he was not, it was not just, you know, like, I've tried to read some of Jules Verne's stuff, and Verne liked to dump a lot of esoteric information into his books, but I, like, I tried to read Voice of, or not Voice of the Mountain Sea. That's a very different thing. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I tried to read that a couple of years ago. And it just gets so bogged down in him just listing things that were on the bottom of the ocean. Uh, <laughs> Jules you know. Verne's thing was, while H.G. Wells invented things. Yes. Science fictional things. Jules Verne just took things that actually existed and made them bigger. Yeah. 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 That was Jules Verne's thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's a big submarine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh and and so um yeah, uh that's where I stand if anyone was asking on the HG Wells <laughs> Verne dichotomy. Well, uh, um go ahead, Rick. Well, I I I was just going to going to going to finish it up. Just the the 1953 War of the Worlds uh it, it updates the story and it does it as well as 1953 special effects could do. There was no way they could do tripods walking around New Jersey. So they just gave them, had them flying along. And then every now and then you'd see energy beams shooting down, Yeah, uh, you know, and, and it's, you know, I never even caught that watching it on my little black and white 13 inch TV in my bedroom in 1972 on a Sunday afternoon. Um, you know, but you know, it, it's a, it's a wonderful movie. Um, and you know, a lot of people think of the, the ending to the world wars, especially when the, when the Tom Cruise version came out as being, you know, oh my God, really? Um, you know, cause it, it's the, you know, the, the, the micro bacteria of the, of the planet killed the Martians. But when Wells wrote this book in 18, whatever germ theory was cutting edge science. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew about that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was, it was brilliant at the time and I still think it works. If War of the Worlds took place in 2020, the Martians would last a minute and a half. <laughs> yeah. The book would be seven pages long. The Martians <laughs> came down. Oh, crap. They've all got the COVID. The well, I think that if um, if they had just watched The Empire Strikes Back, they could have took those tripods down really easily. <laughs> well, they didn't have any snow speeders. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Unc. <laughs> hey, um, Joe, what's a what's a good movie that you like that's based on classic literature? Well, or what's uh, a bad movie that you like that's based on classic oh, literature? <laughs> we'd be here all night. <laughs> uh, let's see. I was gonna when when you, when you told me the topic, or when I read the topic, my very first thought was, oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah, we talked about that a few minutes ago. Okay. No, no. go ahead. Go ahead. Let's get your, your uh, take on it. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I, won't, I won't spend a ton of time on it, but a lot more enjoyable than the source material. <laughs> uh, in, in, in Eminently quotable. Oh, yeah. Still to this day. A lot of, um, if you didn't know the source material, that doesn't affect your enjoyment of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. Um, and vice versa. If you've never seen <laughs> Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, you're going to get a, a different experience from the Odyssey also. But it, uh, the fact that it just followed the same path 
as the Odyssey and the references to the Odyssey. It took the spirit of the Odyssey without attempting to do a 1920s version of it Mm -hmm. or whatever year the O Brother War thought took place, uh, more or less. Um, but, but yeah, it, um, that, that was, that was my thought about it. It kind of trans, I wanted to say transcend the material because the Odyssey, people still read it after like a thousand, two thousand years. But, uh, I, I, I will say maybe in a thousand years, people will still be watching Oh Brother Art Thou. Yeah. It's, it's still fun. Uh, they loved him up and turned him into a horny toad. <laughs> so much. Yeah, there's so many things. You uh, you can't start quoting that movie because you, you're not going to be able to stop. Right. There's <laughs> so much. Do not seek the treasure. Uh, that's uh, uh, yeah. It, it um it, it's one of my family's most enjoyable, quotable. It's one of those, you know, every, I think lots of families hopefully have movies that you quote to each other constantly. And Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is one of ours. But, um, but yeah. Um, we went to see Allison Krauss in Union Station in a concert once. Neat. And when they started singing, I mean, you just hear the first couple of notes. And like, oh, they're going to sing the song. <laughs> Man of Constant Sorrow. <laughs> nice. And, uh, Rick, there's, a, I know you haven't seen it, but there's a, there's a scene. I know you know the song, Man of Constant Sorrow. It's an old song. It's been re-recorded a million right. times, but, a million times. and when they, when they did it for this film, it was Union Station that recorded it. And it was, uh, I think it got back on the charts and like the top 40 charts. Mm-hmm. But, um, in the movie, George Clooney is singing it, but he's lip syncing to the guy from Union Station's voice. But the way that they do it is he gets up in the mic like this so that you can't really see his lips on camera. It's <laughs> really just yeah. the, the construction of it. And Charles Durning basically plays every character that he ever played in any Burt Reynolds movie. Yeah. He kind of plays Jackie Gleason. Uh, if Jackie Gleason, Jackie Gleason from Smokey and the Bandit, if he were a politician instead of a sheriff, uh, it, it's like that. Um, that's kind of the, the feel of that movie to me. It feels like a crazy Burt Reynolds movie. Yeah. Or the kind that Burt Reynolds would have made had they done Oh Brother, Why Aren't Thou yeah. in the 70s. And it's a, a depression era comedy based on a fantasy poem from 2000 years ago. <laughs> or 3000 years ago. Um, all right. The last one that I'm going to bring up is actually most of the ones that I've mentioned tonight have been movies that are kind of inspired by uh, classic literature. This one is a, basically a, a direct adaptation, but it's the 1992 version of the John Steinbeck novel of Mice and Men. And it's the one that's got uh, Gary Sinise and John Malkovich in it. Mm. And, so, Of Mice and Men is a book that I was forced to read when I was in high school. And, sure. uh, but I mean, I enjoyed the story and the film came out and I don't remember it being in theaters. I'm sure it was probably released in 400 theaters nationwide and won a couple of film festivals or something like that. But the first time I saw it, it was in the video store. So we rented it because I had just read the book, you know, a couple months before that. And, um, uh, Anytime you see somebody do like a linear impression, 
they're probably doing John Malkovich's version of Lenny from this from this movie. And um I just thought this is this is just the the way that they play off of each other, the way Malkovich uh embodies that character. Not only that, I think this was the first Malkovich movie I ever saw. And then I've probably seen every movie he's come out with since, you know, just because I love the cadence, the way Malkovich speaks and the way he, uh, he really takes on his characters. Uh, there was a skit, <laughs> there's a skit they did on Saturday Night Live because Malkovich hosted Saturday Night Live not long after yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't long after this movie came out and they did a skit where, uh, he was playing Lenny. Oh, okay. And Chris Farley was also playing Lenny. So it was two, <laughs> Lenny. two Lenny's. It was great. And, uh, the thing is, in Mice and Men, there's a scene where, uh, Lenny pets a puppy dog a little too hard and it, and it dies. So <laughs> there's this scene where they're just both picking up puppies and petting them and they're dying. Oh, I killed another one. <laughs> they just got like a pile of puppies inside them. It's really Probably. dark, but it was hilarious. But. Top notch. <laughs> All right, um, I've got some honorable mentions. Uh, uh, Rick, you want to do your honorable mentions first? Uh, sure. Uh, well, I, I, let's let's. Uh, what is the other one? I think that we can talk to talk about that John mentioned was. Uh, uh, I, I don't. I don't know. Have either of you seen the color purple enough to talk about it? I saw it once about thirty years ago. <laughs> and, that, and that's I remember parts of it, and I'm, I'm I know it's a uh, I know it's a classic, and I remember it being a good movie, but uh, I don't remember enough of it to re- like really have a conversation about it. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen it. Um, but okay. uh, he he said uh, West Side Story. Yeah, basically uh, an adaptation of uh, Romeo and uh, Juliet. Romeo and Juliet set yeah. in set in the uh, '60s New York between a uh, uh, Puerto Rican family and. And American families. That's a terrible term. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's a great play. It's some really wonderful music. Um, I, I, you know, I've directed a production of Romeo and Juliet. It's still not one of my favorites because it's just goddamn depressing. <laughs> but, um, they did I, a version in the 90s with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. Yeah. That I remember enjoying Romeo when I saw it. Juliet. Romeo plus Juliet. And Rick just hung his head. He hated it. <laughs> I didn't see it. I, I'm a Shakespeare purist and I realize that that's kind of a contradiction in terms. I, for the most part, don't like it when Shakespeare is set into a vastly different, you know, hey, let's do the Tempest in space. Yeah. So I didn't see the, the, Romeo and Juliet. Well, that was Forbidden Planet. The Tempest in Space. That was was the Forbidden Planet. I didn't like Space Tempest. Yeah. (laughs) Um, If that's not a movie, somebody should make Space Tempest. It is Forbidden Planet. It is Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet is great. I I I I recognize that. It's got (laughs) a robot and and Leslie Nielsen. No, Forbidden. That was going to be next on my list. But uh, but the thing is, the Forbidden Planet isn't the Tempest. Just on a different planet. It's, you know, the, sto- you know, kind of the bare bones of the story set in the future. And I, 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 you know, like the, the, the Midsummer Night's Dream I mentioned earlier takes Midsummer and puts it in kind of the 1800s where they're like riding bicycles and stuff. And, mm-hmm. but so much of the play 
takes place out in the in in the forest of Arden where there is no time. So it doesn't really bother me that much. And as I've gotten older, I've kind of loosened up on that. I'll 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 be the first to admit I'm a kind of a tight ass on that. Um and I just it just because I've been in the theater long enough to have seen so many stupid ideas of things to do with Shakespeare. <laughs> I just tend to be like, oh, fuck, what are you going to do with it now? <laughs> well, the, 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 the Romeo plus Juliet, I, I only saw it once, and I was probably 19 or 20 when I saw it. And uh, I was kind of dragged to it by a date. But I, I did mm. e- enjoy what I saw, but it was, I liked it. It's, it's the same script. They take, I mean, they, the, the lines they say it, are the same. You know, they just, it just takes place in the nineties in like, uh, Venice Beach, California. Uh, but I did, it is kind of goofy. There's one scene where, uh, Romeo's father, or not, it may be Juliet's father. One of them says, bring me my longbow, bring me my longsword. And when he points, he points to a gun that has longsword written on the side of it yeah. or something like that. <laughs> well, it's, it's like Joss Whedon did a version of Much Ado About Nothing a few years back with Jewel State and, you know, like most of the cast of Firefly mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, uh, oh, the dude from, from Avengers, Coulson. What's, I can't remember the actor's name. Clark Gregg. Clark Gregg. Thank you. And I had done that show in, in grad school and it's like, Oh cool. I'll watch it. And I got like 10 minutes into it. And I was like, Oh right. I hate this show. <laughs> <laughs> They did a version of Hamlet a few years ago uh, with Ethan Hawke that took place mm-hmm. like in modern New York or something like that. But um, but okay, I'm I'm gonna throw out you know I, I had things like Frankenstein, Dracula, The Three yeah. Musketeers, Lord of the Rings. Uh, um, but I think the one I really want to throw out is an honorable mention that I really want to recommend. And someday, I don't know if my eyes can take it anymore. Have y'all ever seen Ron? I don't think so. Ron is the king. I, I know what it is, and I haven't seen it, and I feel bad. <laughs> it is brilliant. I, it, it, it is the King Lear story set in feudal Japan, directed by Toshiro Mifune. Yeah, and it was. One, I think it was one of his last films. Um, and it is epic. It is brilliant. It is two and a half to three hours of subtitles. <laughs> it will leave you cross-eyed by the time you're yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is genius. Um, and I mean, the, the Japanese stunt people are either reincarnated, reincarnated kamikaze pilots or have amazing insurance policies because some of those battles are unbelievable. What the stunt people were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I mean, you know, 300 people on horseback and there are some, you know, that dude just went under that horse. There's no way that was fake. That dude went under that horse because it came out <laughs> they, like... They don't mess around in Japan. There was no CG back then. <laughs> um, it, it's just, it is brilliant, but it's, I, I will grant you, it's a lot of reading. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, you know, I saw it in the movie theater. So, you know, subtitles in a movie theater are easier to cope with because they're still six feet tall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I highly, highly recommend it. And it's it's the King Lear story, but it's put in feudal Japan, and it's it's amazing. Um, a few that I wanted to mention that, I mean, I won't <laughs> go too deep into them, but you've got uh, Treasure Planet, which is a Disney cartoon based on 
Treasure Island. I, it was the I had Treasure Island on my list, but it was the last traditional animation film that Disney came out with until the 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 pr- Princess Frog the Frog Prince. What's the name of that movie? Princess, Princess and, the and the Frog. Okay, yeah. They, so it was the last one that they did until then. Then they started getting into computer animation and things after that. Um, the Lion King, because it's based on Hamlet. Um, Oliver and Company. Another Disney movie based on Oliver Twist. Uh, Disney does that a lot. <laughs> it's like classic literature and, and, uh, and, and twist it around and, and change it and make new things it. out of it. Yeah. Uh, so Bridget Jones Diary was based on Pride and Prejudice and it's noteworthy because Colin Firth was in Bridget Jones Diary. He was also in a BBC version of the Pride and Prejudice, which is like one of the most famous versions of Pride and Prejudice. And he basically played the same character. Because he played the character in Pride and Prejudice, and then played the character that that was that was based on that in Bridget Jones' Diary. So, uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw Cruel Intentions that had uh, Sarah, yeah. Sarah Michelle Gellar came out in the nineties. Yeah, I did. It was I've based seen memes from it. <laughs> it was Fine based friend. on uh, Dangerous Liaisons, which was a French novel. Which I've also seen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Then you've got oh, wow. that one thing is what I'm so keyed in on. Like, apparently, I've seen every version. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, they remake this stuff over and over. It's like a uh, Pygmalion. Is that how you Pygmalion. pronounce it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, My Fair Lady, Pretty Woman, and she's all that are all based on Pygmalion. Um, but and then the only other thing I had was Forbidden Planet. Was kind of sort of based on the Tempest. So, Joe, what about you? You got any more? I, um, we could, and you guys probably have, and we will and should, I'm sure, uh, talk about Lord of the Rings, but. We haven't really, I mean, we, it got mentioned, but we haven't really, like, really talked about it. It's, I don't even, when I was thinking about the topic before I came on, I was, I was like, oh yeah, it just seems to me to be like two different things. I don't. I don't really connect them to the books. It's not that they are very dissimilar. It's at all. It, it's in fact they're very similar. Uh, but it. Um, unless you're Faramir. Unless you're Faramir. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, and like seventeen other people too, uh, <laughs> just off the top of my head. But. Um, but yeah, the, just the, the, the fact that it exists <laughs> is, is kind of a testament to, uh, um, Peter Jackson and just, uh, I'm, I mean, they couldn't have done it 10 years earlier, 20 years earlier, anything like that, but I'm glad they finally did. Yeah. And, um, uh, just the fact that there is like a zillion hours now of Hobbit movies. I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, classic wise, um, it's tough. A lot of times you, uh, and you guys have probably, again, you probably brought this up. Um, what do you want from a live action adaptation of a classic of literature? Mm-hmm. You know, you want a, 
did, uh, a lot of times when people adapt comic books and stuff like that, they say, well, just give me something else that's similar, like with these characters. You know, like the Marvel movies, none of them directly adapt any comic stories. Right. There's elements, of course, you know, but there's not, it's not like this is a specific comic story that we're adapting. But when you do a movie adaptation of like the Scarlet Letter, I mean, I don't know why, again, that's on the top of, I don't know why that was the first thing I thought of. But, uh, when you do that, you're not looking for a, um, you're not, you're not looking for, or are you? Yeah, uh, you're not looking for a different experience in the or a different look into the Scarlet Letter universe. You want the Scarlet Letter story. Mm-hmm. It's two different things, and so nobody goes to a Scarlet Letter movie wanting to wanting them to play around with the whole Scarlet Letter thing. It's just show me the freaking Scarlet Letter. Yeah, it's, we were talking at the beginning, and I mentioned that mo- most classic literature got made into a movie very early on in Hollywood. You know, 30s, 40s, 50s are full of classic books being turned into movies. And since then, they just kind of get remade over and over and over till we get to the point that now, very rarely do you get a movie that's a direct adaptation of a classic book. We get them sometimes. We had Emma a few months ago, but now mostly they come out with we're taking this story and we're making a new version of it. Or, you know, we're changing things around where it's inspired by this story or whatever, without being a direct. And a lot of, a lot of, um, of course you wouldn't really necessarily, some audience members would call these classics. They make movies and put them on the Netflix of books that came out last year Mm -hmm. and two years ago. And, um, in fact, my, my, my daughter just got one from the library today and she said, can you believe this is on Netflix? I just read it two years ago. <laughs> and the fact that we had to wait like 30 years for adaptations of things we liked to, oh. to, to get it, to get on board. On, well, have, uh, have either of you seen the documentary Hodorowsky's Dune? Yes. No. That would have been a shit show and a half, but I would have watched the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, you know, Hodorowsky, and and Lynch both did the same thing. They took Dune. That Dune Dune was the first thing on my list, uh, Joe. Before you got here, um, and they went, "Yeah, right. I want to do my own version." And it's like, no, <laughs> yeah, that's not what you come to a Dune movie for. Exactly. You know, if you want to do the Wild Wild West, but you don't want to do the Wild Wild West, do your own thing. You know, it's like. Uh, Atomic Blonde is is the perfect example of we want to do James Bond but we want a woman as James Bond. Well, no one's going to no one's going to watch a James Bond movie with a woman as James Bond, but Charlize Theron I'd watch it. as her own character <laughs> was amazing. Yeah. You know, it's I don't understand I well I do understand. It's it's all it's all economics. It's all we're going to call it this because that's going to put so many butts in the seats on opening weekend, regardless yeah. of whether we've followed the source material or not. And then mm-hmm. if the critics don't like it, F them. We don't care. We've got our money. We're, we're going on to the next thing. Yeah. 
Joe, you got in, in general, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's not like I don't I don't know that there is a fan base for a classic book or anything necessarily that people are like, hot dang, I can't wait for them to adapt it into live action. When are they going to do Jane Eyre again? You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, but. You gotta, you gotta get the high points. I don't know, I, I'm trying to think of a good example for it, to crystallize what I'm trying to say. But it, it's two different experiences, but an adaptation is, you want a live action version of the book experience. It's not a different experience in, in my estimation of it. You want like there's there's things in this movie that they, in this book they got to have in the movie. And if you don't, you're going to walk out and go, "Why didn't they do this part?" And yeah. uh, it I I don't know. A lot of times, of course, we everyone everyone always says, "Well, the book is better." And sometimes I would say most of the time that is true. But in the case of uh, some adaptations, some adaptations can improve on the source material. Uh, I liked a lot of the Dune movie in a, some ways better than I liked the book. I'm out. Yeah, I'll, 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 see, I'll, see, I'll see myself out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there, there, there's definitely books that. Uh, like the the Godfather, I'd much rather re- watch the Godfather movie than read the book. I've read the book; it's a good book, but the movie is it's in my top ten list. It's one of my favorite movies. The Godfather book is not in my top ten list of favorite books, but it, I mean, it's this whole thing, you know. I, that I, I talk about this with people all the time. Books and movies are different mediums. So when you go and watch a movie that's based on a book, you can't expect everything that's in that book to be on the screen because then the movie would have to be ten hours long. You know, or it would have to be a, it would have to be a three part series like Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Lola says she likes the Expanse TV series better than the books. I can totally dig where you're coming from, Lola. I've read the books and I, I, I watched seasons one and two and then read all of the extant books after that. Um, I think that they are as, as, Joe was just, they're a very different experience. I appreciate that the book, the TV series did not try to slavishly recreate the books. That's so that they, it's, yeah. it's its own thing. Um, and in some ways I, I like the TV series better. And in some ways I like the books better with it, with the, the expanse is, is interesting because uh, uh, James S. A. Corey, who is actually two guys <laughs> uh, is working with they're They're working with the creators of the TV series uh, and, and, and so, you know, they're writing the books as the books. Yeah, the books can go on. Uh, she says the bo- the books can drag. Um, I, I I like them so much I don't mind that. But yeah, there are sometimes I'm like, all right, can we just get on with this story, please? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they're the they're they're very very different. And it's it's like the Harry Potter books and movies. You know, I don't know that we could call Harry Potter classic yet. I think. We need to be 50 years down the road before we can make that decision. Um, in, in my opinion, I think a classic is something that, you know, 
30 years later, people are still talking about it. Yeah. Ready Player One is not going to be around <laughs> in 30 years, <laughs> I, I don't think. Um, the Martian, maybe, but uh, but anyway, uh, you know, the Harry Potter books versus the movies, I really like the books. You know, Rowling's, poly, you know, Rowling's turfness, right? Notwithstanding, I enjoyed the books. Um, the movies... I think the problem was as the books went from, you know, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's or the Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, the, you just couldn't put it all in one movie. And, you know, they didn't want to do, you know, except for the last one, they didn't want to do multiple movies for each book. Um, so you, you kind of had to give allowance. But, you know, how many conversations were there after each movie came? Well, why didn't they put this in? Why didn't they put that? What about that? Yeah. What about that? And, yeah, they're two different media. You you you've got to make allowances. I think like Jurassic Park and um, the Hunt for Red October are two of the best adaptations from book to screen I've ever seen because they both condense the story without losing too many elements of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Hunt for Red October is a great book. It's the only Tom Clancy, not Clem, Tom Clancy. Yeah, is it Clancy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's Tom Clancy. Only Clancy book I've read, um, and. Most of the book is Jack Ryan finding out about submarines because he doesn't know shit about submarines in the book. And it's all him going to all these different people to learn this stuff. And the movie went, we don't have time for that. So they just gave him all the information at the beginning and just got right into the story. And I thought that was genius. Uh, and um, Jurassic Park is it. it the freaking it, dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah, because the the book is all about, you know, when Crichton's at his best, he's taking cutting-edge science and extrapolating on it. When he's at his worst is when he's trying to tell a story. God, don't read Congo or Sphere. It'll kill you. <laughs> um, but, you know, the the movie of Jurassic Park took the, 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 the uh, you know, the, the main set pieces from the book and and just turned it into a nice streamlined story without getting into too much of the weeds of where they found the DNA and how they got it and how they bred the dinosaurs. And, yeah. You know, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, there were a couple of scenes. He changed some things. You know, uh, Hammond was not a nice guy in the book. Hammond died at the end of the book and you were happy to see the composition. So did, so did Ian Malcolm. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- th- oh, that's. He died at the end of the book <laughs> and then he came back for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, all right. Oh, in, in, I, he, in just, Cri- he just injured my leg is all. <laughs> in, in Crichton's defense, he had never written a sequel. Yeah. And then they backed a pickup truck full of cash onto his front lawn and said, we need another one. And he went, well, okay. <laughs> and basically said, had Malcolm say, you know, things were so confused on the island, they even thought I was dead for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I... The, the the movie was not at all based on the book that he was that that it was supposedly based on. So yeah, the Lost World only the only thing it shared with that book was the title. <laughs> yeah, <So. laughs> I mean I I love I, some of Crichton's books were some of my favorites, but you know he was either brilliant or terrible. There wasn't anything in between. And like Jurassic Park was brilliant, the Lost World was not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, that was just like, uh, hey, that's I another mean, whole show. We could do a whole show on cash. Crichton. Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we need to do that, actually. Yeah. Cause I've, I've read way more Crichton than I wish I 
Have you, uh, they, they're, um, they did a post, they did a, 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 just last year, or maybe just this year is when it came out. They did a, uh, a sequel to the Andromeda strain. Oh my God. And I got that in the mail right when we had started, um, um, a, as a review copy, um, right after the COVID thing hit. And my thought was, why? Why, why, why in 2020? Why do I need the Andromeda strain in 2020? Who wrote uh, it? And, but yeah, it was, um, uh, I can't think of the, cause Crichton had, is no longer with us. No, yeah. he died many, but, quite a while ago. But somebody who wrote a Robopocalypse book. Oh God. Is the name of the author, but it, a guy, a guy took over. Um, and is doing it did the sequel. Daniel, I see the book on my shelf. Wait, I'm gonna go reach for it. <laughs> As you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've read a lot of Creighton's books, and uh, you know, like timeline. I, I enjoyed the book timeline. The book, oh, I couldn't get through timeline. The movie get... was nothing like it, though. You know, it's, it's, it's the same kind of deal. Here you go, the Andromeda Evolution, ah. by uh, Daniel H. Wilson, who uh, has done something. Hmm. But he, yeah, uh, Daniel H. Wilson wrote. Oh, he wrote a comic book that I hated. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he. Re- I really hated that comic book. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the the movie of the Andromeda Strain. It took me years to get through it because I, it was one of those ones that was always playing on like a Sunday afternoon, and like I'd be at you know my my mother or father, I'd be with them, and we'd be at a friend's house, and it'd be on, and I'd try to watch it, and we'd get to the scene where they're looking through the the screen of the satellite, and they're zooming in, and it's so dramatic, and I would just fall asleep. It took me years to get through that whole thing. Lola's asking if he had the rights to that. It's probably that the publishing company had the rights to it, and they just hired the nearest uh, writer to to bang Uh, out something. uh, Now, I will say, the the Andromeda Strain book is not bad. It's just, the movie is dreadful. No, I I, um, I, I can... uh, Lola, I will answer your question um, with this piece of paper that they included in my review copy. Uh, the uh, Sherry Crichton, I'm guessing some relative of, of Michael. Probably perhaps, either his uh, wife or daughter. I'm, 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 uh, uh, she uh, she approved the book. That uh, It's part of, uh, so this is an official Crichton family thing. Um, yeah. It's to tie in with the 50th anniversary of the release of the Andromeda Strain book. And let me, let, let me, let me just say, Really, 2020? That's, <laughs> of course, 2020 is the 50th anniversary of Andromeda Strain. Of course yeah. it is. Well, you know, she, when the pandemic started, all those movies like Outbreak, and they all started like trending on Netflix and stuff. I was like, why are you people watching watch watch these things. movies? But um, she said that, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, uh, so Daniel H. Wilson was not, it was not a publisher thing. She, uh, I think, went out and found Wilson to do the book. My wife read it. Uh, she liked it. So 
I don't know. There was a guy named Mark Weingardner that uh, he's really a sports writer, but for some reason he got hired to write two Godfather novels. And this is probably ten or fifteen years ago, and they were they were good books, but they were set between Godfather Two and Godfather Three because nobody wants to write a book that's post Godfather Three because Michael Corleone is dead, <laughs> you know. So Godfather uh, Four, yeah, Revenge. <laughs> the Revenge of Michael's Ghost or something like that. But uh, but yeah, so it's set. Well, part of it is set between one and two, and then the next one is set between two and three. But they they weren't bad, but even when I was reading them, I was like, well, I don't understand why this exists. <laughs> we're just, we're expanding on a story that's already been completed, you know, so. Um, yeah. Well, that's all I've got. You guys got anything else? Uh, Let me see. Uh, I'm surprised that I dug out the Andromeda evolution. I'm, I'm okay. Musketeers has I've been done, my part. done to death. Yeah. Um, I, 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 orange. Mm. I've never read the book, so I can't really say. I could not the read book. the book because uh, the movie just sticks with you. If you re- if you see it first, it's you're not going to be able to get that. It's 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 its own thing. I've not read the book, but I'm not it, really a Kubrick fan. Mm. I, I mean, I, I think I've said that on the show before. I'm not. I mean, all of his movies are considered classics, and most of them. Eh, eh. 2001 Space Odyssey had parts that I really enjoy, but for the most part, I I was just bored. <laughs> you, you, well, with, with 2001, you, you and I'll grant you, I I love the movie, and I still can't get through it in one sitting. Um, you've got to put it in its context, and it's and it's. I there's a I, I recently read the uh, or listened to the audiobook of uh, a, I forget the title of it. It's a making. It's an in depth making of 2001, and Kubrick was a major dick. He just treated yeah. everybody like shit. He hosed Arthur C. Clarke so hard over that movie. Um, well, he he psychologically abused Shelley Duvall during oh, yeah. The Shining. Yeah, major. And the well, kid, two thousand ten, is one of my didn't favorite. Even know he movies. was in a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that you know, but you know, Kubrick is right up there with like Ridley Scott. Not as bad, but you know, he's one of those directors, and and and. Uh, 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 Hitchcock was like that too, where they thought that they they would get better performances out of actors by like just absolutely messing with them instead of just letting them do their jobs. Yeah, and <laughs> that doesn't seem like a great idea. <laughs> you know, I, I there, there's the there's the, the the famous story about the the chest bursting scene in Alien uh, that it, it's kind of gotten blown up a little more than it was because there was no way they could do that scene without the actors knowing, you know, the, 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 the legend is that Ridley Scott didn't tell anyone what was going to happen in the chest bursting scene, which is only kind of true because there's no way they could do that scene without them knowing what was supposed to happen. But what they didn't know was how much blood was going to happen. And so when they had, uh, John, John or William Hurt, William, John Hurt. When they had John Hurt on the table, and you know, obviously they had to have him rigged up, you know, with the prosthetic, you know, alien chest bursting thing. But what nobody knew was just how much high pressure blood was going to be spraying all around the room and stuff. And so, like the scene where Angela Cartwright is like, ah, because she just got blood in the face. That was real. 
you know, they had no idea the, the, the scope awesome. of it. That yeah. makes it better. I did not know that. Yeah. And, you know, they've fallen over tables and shit because there's just blood squirting all over the room. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's the low end of the kind of crap that those yeah. two. Well, you know, Tarantino, Tarantino did a, you know, when he made the hateful eight, <laughs> when he made the hateful eight, uh, there's a scene where Jennifer Jason Lee, Kurt, Kurt Russell's character is choking her. And, but what you find out later is that the hands that were around her throat was actually Quentin Tarantino's hand and he was really choking her. Oh man, I hate <laughs> to that get, man so much. To get the right, <laughs> to get the right look for the shot or whatever, he almost made no. her pass out. You know. Can they, can they not cho- choke people? Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> There's like a five minute long choking scene in Inglorious Bastards too. Yeah. I, yeah, he may have a thing for choking. <laughs> All right. Uh, Say goodnight, well, Gracie. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, well, why are we ending it there? Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Well, Lola brings up the, the the Uma Thurman thing. She was in one of one of two. I don't. It was Kill Bill. She was driving a had to drive. There was a car scene where she gets in a car accident. Mm-hmm. There was no reason for it to be her, but Tarantino insisted that she be the one driving the car, and. Brow beat her into doing it, and then she still has back problems from from the accident. And for most insurance companies, would prefer it not be the actor. Yeah, that uh, you know we're we're basing this film off of. We don't really want to injure them to the point that we can't. I mean, that's why Mission Impossible, the last Mission Impossible movie, got shut down for weeks because Tom Cruise broke his leg doing his own and it's stunt. on camera you, you th- he insisted they keep the take you could see him breaking yeah. his damn foot but that's <laughs> that's what that's what stunt doubles are Jackie Chan stuff right there stunt doubles are not there because the actor is just a wuss and doesn't want to do the stunt stunt doubles are there so that if somebody gets injured you don't shut down production of a film mm-hmm. for six months you know they should have uh, they should do like at the end of Jackie Chan movies in every movie they uh, instead of like a blooper reel and ja- at the end of Jackie Chan movies, they show him actually being hurt. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That, that, all of her things. Uh, then you wind up with, you wind up with films like, uh, you ever seen the movie wagons East is a, uh, supposed to be a John Candy vehicle, but John Candy died and they had just started. They had not shot very much and mm-hmm. he was supposed to be a major part of the film and they ended up having to, rewrite a lot of it and reuse footage that they had already shot to be able to finish that film. And there's one scene towards the end of the film that's actually a reuse of the same footage from earlier in the film. They just reversed it. (laughs) (laughs) So the John Candy's sitting on the other side of the room (laughs) or something. Uh, but yeah, it's crazy what they, what they have to do to finish films when stuff happens when they're, when they're shooting. Maybe we can do an episode about that one, one day. But, uh, uh, I'm I'm going to comment from John earlier who said that, uh, Roxanne is his favorite. Yeah. We talked about Roxanne. Yeah. That's one of my favorite adaptations too. That's, uh, the whole shebang, everything about it. Well, Joe, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you? Uh, you can find me on the Facebooks at, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash American sci-fi classics. Dragon Con was all virtual this year, but we, uh, are still gonna do and we still have done, uh, virtual panels like these. 
on, in fact, on StreamYard. Uh, so every Thursday, we're still doing sci-fi convention panels, even though like the conventions don't have to happen. We're going to bring them home to your house, uh, and we're we're going to keep doing those uh, with a myriad, I dare say, a plethora of guests. A plethora? A plethora. Wow. Uh, of people who either couldn't get to Dragon Con ever or have always wanted to. We're going to get them on the uh, on our panels, including YouTube, YouTube, YouTube people <laughs> that I'm going to have to drag on the panels over at, over at our place. But uh, yeah, um, we're on the Instagram at Sci-Fi Classic Track and on the Twitters at Just Classic Track. But follow us on. But we're we're doing watch parties and YouTube videos all year round on our Facebook page. So okay, all right. Rick, what about you? You can find my stuff over at Starbase, no, StarbaseCommand.net, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where you can find Starbase 66 and uh, Open the Iris, my Stargate SG-1 watch-along show. And uh, we just recorded a new episode of Analyzing Doctor Who that will be out air too much longer. Uh, what else do we do over there? Uh, uh, Infinite Diversity, uh, The Admiral's Table, uh, and, um, uh, uh, well, it's, it's, it's Tracno Babble, but we need to find a new name for it. And, uh, but also you can find me here on Cosmic Potato. So, uh, thank you folks for listening. And if you want to get in touch with us, tell us what your favorite movie based on a classic story is. Or if you want to give us ideas for an episode that you can contact us on email, Facebook, Twitter. Announcer Nate has all that info for you in just a minute. Lola, you are freaking awesome, by the way. I don't know if you if, if you haven't been here before, but you are fantastic. Lola, Lola, Lola is one of our favorites. She's been on panels with us of the billion times. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to join us next time on Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast, when you might hear John say, We will know our society has achieved true equality when a condescending person might also be referred to as matronizing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us. You can contact us by joining our Facebook group, following us on Twitter, or sending an email to cosmicpotatopod at gmail.com. You can find all our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and at CosmicPotatoNetwork.com. Be sure to join us again next time on Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast.